climate is more in the now, every day-to-day type stuff. And it's, it's different than culture. And people might think that, I think sometimes folks think that this is just sort of semantics, that it's like, oh, we're just trying to throw another word out there just to throw another word out there. And that's not the case. And, and the, the, good, the good news about this, I think, is that everybody uses the word culture. So that's good. Like we've raised our awareness to the fact that culture is important and it's not just transactional X's and O's and this and that, but the word has become so overused and abused that people feel like they can just say the word and feel like that they, they've got what they need. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Asim Rostogi and Kyle Cavanaugh, the co-founders of Essential Coaching, to the podcast. Asim is in his third year as an assistant coach for the women's basketball team at Brandeis University. Prior to that, he spent seven years coaching high school girls basketball. In addition to his coaching responsibilities, Asim also helps lead diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in the athletic department at his university. Kyle is the co-founder of Essential Coaching, co-owner and managing partner of Playmakers League, is the founder and creator of Five Star Hoops, and is a back-to-back state championship high school coach from Louisiana. Kyle also serves as a lead-em-up regional coach for the Southern United States. He began his coaching career as a graduate assistant for the Louisiana Tech men's basketball program before moving to the high school ranks, where in conjunction with his coaching career, he has served as a classroom educator for the past 13 years. In our conversation, we talk about Kyle and Asim's experiences losing their jobs, their essential coaching framework, RACA, which stands for Reflection, Awareness, Clarity, and Alignment, and the difference between climate and culture. If you enjoyed the episode and want to get a copy of the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com, drop your email in the form, and get access to the notes from this episode or any episode. And if you're already on my email list, just check your email inbox for a link to download the notes. And if you want to learn more about the Coaches Club community, a community of like-minded coaches that are committed to learning and growing together, go to coachesclub.community to learn more or schedule a call to talk to me about joining. And coaches, don't forget to grab your spot in the third round of book clubs, covering the coach's guide to teaching before they're gone book clubs kick off at the end of september the book clubs are four weeks long and cover chapter three from the coach's guide to teaching which dives into improving our feedback dr mccleary my guest on episode 18 of the podcast told me that in her research at the university of washington they found that nearly 75 percent of observable coaching behaviors had something to do with feedback 75 percent Just imagine how much it would improve our coaching and our athletes' development if we got marginally better at giving feedback. And like Doug talks about in the book, unfortunately, the things we do most often, we're often the most unaware of. So hop into the next round of book clubs to get better at giving feedback so that you can help your players get better faster. The cost is 25 bucks, which is primarily to ensure that those who sign up are committed to the book club, which creates a better experience for everyone. But if you sign up and aren't satisfied with the value that you've received after the first two weeks, just let me know and I'll refund your money. You can get a sneak peek into the book clubs and bonus episodes two and three, which also include a guest appearance and Q&A from Doug Lamov. If you haven't read the book yet, no worries. I've got a discount code you can use to purchase it from the publisher or a link for you to grab it on Amazon in the show details. 
If you want to learn more or sign up for the next round, go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details. There's only 12 spots available per book club, so grab yours before they're gone and we kick off. Now to my conversation with Asim and Kyle. Enjoy the episode. Coaches, really excited to welcome Kyle and Asim of Essential Coaching to the podcast today. Uh, Kyle and Asim, I would love if you guys would just start off by telling the audience a little bit about what Essential Coaching is and why you guys started it. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having us. We're, we're excited to be on the pod with you today and get to share a little bit about our journey, uh, you know, individually and jointly. Um, essential coaching was really birthed from, from Kyle and I, long story short, knowing that there had to be a better way to develop um, as coaches and as, as educators and as professionals. And oddly enough, and people kind of get a kick out of this story, Kyle and I have only ever met one time in person. Uh, and that was right before I moved up here to the Boston area. And um, it was at training to become lead them up regional coaches. Uh, but essential coaching really started about four years ago with Kyle and I connecting on a read and react webinar. And, you know, started with sharing clips back and forth via email and then, you know, texting every day, getting on the phone. And I think now, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, but it's been about four years straight where we have talked every single day. Um, and with the pandemic hitting in uh, early 2020, we had this thought that we should try to do this on a larger scale where we talk the game, we think the game differently, we sharpen each other's ideas. And so we were fortunate enough to give a couple of clinics on the Summit Coaches Clinic um, platform. And people who reached out after that, they were sort of our pilot group for essential coaching, saying, like, can we take what we do on a small scale with the two of us and with another buddy, Ryan Smith, uh, and bring it to a large scale and, and sort of sharpen and think of ideas and help people develop in a more holistic way. And over the course of the last year, it's, uh, it's been incredible. But Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you jump in here because I don't want to tell the whole story. Well, that's, that's pretty much the long and short of it. Uh, yeah, we essentially realized that, you know, and Asim and I's paths, as different as they might be, paralleled each other in quite some ways. Um, being high school coaches, um, we're, we're very proud of the fact we were both let go right around the same time. And we both bounced back, I would say, in a very big way. Um, and I was able to, to very fortunate to, to start working for a really successful high school program uh, next and got to be a part of a couple of state championships. And the scene goes from high school ranks to coaching in the most competitive conference in, in uh, D3 at Brandeis. And we felt like, okay, how, how can we go from sort of where we were sort of at the you know, rock bottom for us at that particular moment and not just sort of handle it and, and deal with it, but come back a lot stronger? Um, you know, what was, what was sort of the crux of that development for us to, to just continue to improve? And again, there, there's all these resources out there. There's tons of, of clinics and podcasts and classes and people you can talk to and this and that. And we just sort of realized that the, the number one thing that was best for us, at least in that moment, was just having authentic conversations every single day, whether that be text, whether it be, you know, via Zoom, whether it be, um, you know, on the, on the actual phone itself, but just constantly talking about what we were dealing with 
and realizing that even though our situations were similar, our contexts were a little bit different. And that actually played a huge role. That mattered. Asim coaching women, me coaching uh, guys, both coaching basketball, but then we both teach and we both taught different things with different backgrounds and just all of that was sort of in the same realm, but my situation was different from his and vice versa. And that that actually played a huge part in our development. And so when we get on, you know, these things that are a little bit more one size fit all, what we started to realize is we could learn some stuff and we might be able to take it and apply it, but we really didn't develop um, until we started having these authentic conversations every day with each other. And like you mentioned with the buddy, Brian, who lives uh, near me, um, we had a group chat and we just sort of noticed like, Hey, this is working for us. Could this work for somebody else? So if this works for three of us, could it work for five or 10? Um, you know, and, and it's crazy how things work out, you know, through something like a pandemic, but that allowed the space, uh, for this to, to take off. And we tried it and, um, through giving those couple of clinics on the, the coaches clinic, uh, the virtual deal, um, you know, we were able to reach out to, you know, a few dozen people. And we're just like, hey, we're, we're interested in having this conversation. Are you interested in having it with us? And that's sort of how we got started. And that was a little over a year ago. And, you know, we've still got those same, you know, a few dozen folks in and have been growing ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, such a great story. This wasn't on my list of questions, but you both mentioned it. And I think it's worth talking about because, I mean, a lot of coaches experience it. I'd love if you guys would each just share a little bit more about losing your jobs and what that was like. And you kind of mentioned some of the things that helped you come out of it, but you know, that's a hard experience for anyone. And I guess my question in it is how do you handle it well and not become bitter, jaded, angry? I think all those things that just as human beings, it's really easy to become when we feel like we're wronged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the long and short of it for me is that I actually lost my my job at my alma mater um, as a high school coach. And yeah, it's really hard not to become bitter about it, especially when you have to show up and teach at that place while you're not coaching there. Um, You know, and fortunately for me, I, you know, I like to think, that I treat people well. Um, And I think that was noticed by some schools in the conference and schools in the area. And one of them reached out, uh, actually the assistant coaches reached out and some of the parents reached out and said, Hey, we know what happened over at at your old school and we want you to come and do what you were doing there here. Um, So I was fortunate to, I, you know, I had to go through the interview process, didn't know anybody but the coaches there and all that. Uh, And I was lucky to get, another opportunity pretty quickly, but yeah, I mean, that year teaching at the school that let me go, knowing that my players were still going to come to my classroom every day, you know, but I'm not going to get to coach them on the floor. And then I got to play against them and coach against them twice. Cause it was an in-conference rival. And that's tough. Um, but luckily I had Kyle and I had, you know, a, a support system where I know what we were doing at that place was, the right thing to do. And there were influences that had the ear of power. Um, And I think a lot, and that's why we're really big on how we get parents to be allies and not enemies. 
Um, that's why we have created that as our number one resource for all coaches to give away for free, because that is like the thing at the end of the day that, you know, especially even at the college level, like it's, we're not exempt from that at the college level, the influence of parents and the influence of, you know, people who have the ear of decision makers. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, especially when you feel like you were wrong, but at the end of the day, we're still here to try to create that exponential generational change for kids. And it's not the kids. It's never the kids. It is the adults who ruin things for kids. And so if we can be the ones that help make that change through what we do in essential coaching, um, that's, that's the vision we have. Uh, and so that was a lot of this was birthed out of the, the difficulty of those situations. Yeah, and I would say mine is, is pretty similar. Um, I went through my experience before Asim did. So mine was in the, the spring um, of that year, and then his was, what, in the summer, like right before school started, I think, or something like that, um, a few months later. The day before um, teaching contracts started. Yeah. The day so, before teaching contracts started, yep. And mine was the day after spring break, Um on a Monday at one o'clock, which was fantastic. And I got to, and I had to finish teaching the year there. I was teaching um, AP biology and biology one and had to show up and continue to do a good job. And, you know, I mean, to say like, you don't become irritated and jaded and all those things you do. I mean, I did, I'm not that great of a person um, to, to say that I couldn't, that those things didn't get to me or bother me. And I mean, it, it, it sucked. I mean, honestly, I had been the head coach there for seven years and poured a lot into it and had passed up other jobs and this and that and felt like that was, you know, that's your baby. Um, and then to be brought in and told they're going to go in a different direction, um, you know, especially after, you know, feeling like you were gaining some momentum and, and doing some things. But like Asim said, like, you know, the, the decision-making power and those that influence those that make decisions is usually a, a very small group. Um, and the, the small group has the loudest voice. And they decided what they decided, like it is what it is. Um, and that's why we talk a lot about, if, if you follow our stuff, we talk about stacking the deck. You know, we, we can, and, and what we sort of mean by that is like, if, if we, the, the analogy here is like, if we had to say, Luke, pick one card, pick a card, any card. And in order to win, in order to keep your job, in order to, to succeed, you have to draw an ace. Well, there's only so many aces in a deck. And so by developing you know, every time we get on a call with somebody or we work with somebody, we're like, look, we're adding an ace to your deck. We want to fill that deck with as many aces as possible. And even if you've got 51, it's possible you could draw that one card that still gets you fired. It's possible that you could draw that one card, you know, that loses us a game or, or, or whatever. Like it, we can't make it 100% foolproof. It's just not possible. But we can do as much as we possibly can. And over the course of time, we're going to start stacking up more and more wins. And so for Asim and I, we, we pulled a bad card. Like it happened, but I feel like both of us are much better because of that. It definitely deepened our relationship um, and allowed us to develop in certain ways. And I, I don't think Asim and I were bad coaches when that happened, but I think we're definitely a lot better than we were back then. Um, and that sort of elevated and, and sort of sped up, I think some of that process, because it does, force you to reflect and we'll get into talking about Raqqa here in a little bit but when when you get let go you can't help but reflect and you think about everything that you did wrong or everything that potentially could have been done wrong 
um, and, and how all of those things that you, you thought you were doing right, you know, maybe those were wrong. And you just start to question a lot. And, um, and yeah, it was really difficult. You have to, you have to learn to, to swallow a lot of pride to show up and teach and do a good job for those kids. Cause those kids take an AP biology. They didn't necessarily care about the basketball program or me getting like, you know, they were there to do a job. And so me showing up every day and teaching them, I had to show up and do a job. Um, and, and like you said, it, it's funny how stuff works out because then I got to, you know, go, go across town and, and, and be very successful and win a couple of state championships and kind of feel like, okay, that didn't work out over here, but still doing a lot of those same things did work somewhere else. So it wasn't necessarily the stuff per se. Um, and to make the story even weirder, I actually teaching back at that same school. Um, and you want to talk about, again, swallowing a little bit more pride, but you, you know, you do things for your family and your five-year-old daughter, then you, you know, you'd be like, Oh, I'd never do this. And then you end up doing it anyway. Um, but those are the types of stories that hundreds, thousands of coaches are going through right now. And we've actually got someone in our community that went through something very, very similar and lost their job, went back to their uh, high school alma mater and won a state championship the very next season. And so it's just, you know, it's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond. And, um, you know, these, these daily authentic conversations that we have that are about us, you know, our ground zero, our context, um, I think is, is probably the most valuable thing that somebody can do for their development. And one of the things I wanted to add to that, Kyle talked about like reflecting on all the things that could have gone wrong. A lot of times nothing really went wrong except for the wrong person being in the wrong spot, right? Or the wrong like connection with somebody who makes a decision. And when you reflect on all the things that you do right as coaches, and this is something we talk with our cohorts about a lot, like our whole community, it's going to feel like you do a lot of things wrong because you're not going to get an immediate benefit from the things that you are reflecting about, the things that we are talking about, the things that we have agreed will probably work after going through that rocket process, the reflection awareness, clarity alignment pathway. It's okay because in a year, you're going to see the benefit of that. In two years, you might see the benefit of that. And if you don't get to see the benefit of it where you are right now, we're going to see the benefit of it at the next place because you're going to be that much farther ahead in where you started. And I think that's a really important um, piece of that reflection is like, yeah, it's going to feel like a lot of things were wrong because external formula wise, we're being told we were completely wrong. We don't deserve to be the coach here anymore or whatever. But internally, we got to be strong in our voice to understand that, like, actually, we did do a lot of things right. Um, and maybe we just didn't have one piece or, or something about our vision. There was one of those roadblocks, and it's usually the next connection. It may be making the next connection with that parent or with your athletic director or whoever uh, could have been the thing that was standing in the way. And so it's not necessarily that we did, like, all of these things wrong. It's really just somebody's opinion of what we did wrong, but our inner voice has to be really strong in what we do. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Let's, let's, uh, let's keep talking about uh, RACA, you guys' acronym, uh, Reflection, Awareness, Clarity, Alignment. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about reflection. What, what have you guys found or with the coaches that you work with what is kind of the a process or a system of reflection that you're encouraging them or having them use? And how's it, 
benefiting them? So really the, the, the part with, with Rocca, we're, or the reflection piece that we're working with, with coaches is we want to just simply ask questions and kind of get out of their way. We don't want to sort of jade their thought process because what I think or what it thinks or what, you know, some other person that they're talking to or a, a class that they're taking a course that they just watched or anything like that is not really that important in that moment It's where are they? And there's no right or wrong answer with where they are, but we have to figure out where they are. So sort of the analogy, we wrote some blogs on this on the site, but sort of the analogy that we, we use with Raqqa is kind of like getting lost and just finding your way home. So the, the idea of, you know, the reflection piece is admitting that we are lost or where are we trying to figure out where we are. So it's like, you know, when you were a kid and you get on a, a vacation with dad and you're circling the block, you know, trying to find the hotel or whatever, dad can't quite find it. And it's like, hey, are we lost? No, 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 no. We'll figure it out. Like, I know exactly where we are, you know, but it's like, just stop and ask for directions. You know, like we can keep circling the block over and over again, or we can admit that maybe we need a little help. Maybe we need to stop and find out, you know, if we're headed in the right direction or whatever. And so that reflection piece is sort of that idea of like, okay, where am I? Am I lost? You know, where, where exactly am I trying to head? And then we, you know, can kind of continue analogy with like getting our exact GPS location, getting the actual directions, coursing that path all the way home. And then the alignment piece is actually getting to that particular, um, you know, destination. So we actually do a lot of, we have a lot of different tools and Asim is really, uh, is really good at explaining a lot of this, but reflecting with our players as well. And then using those reflective pieces with our players to glean insights to help us as coaches, because we as coaches can do any, you know, all these things that we want to do. And, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later, kind of the difference between culture and climate. Like we as coaches can have the culture set up however we want to have it. But if our players are not fulfilling that, if our players are not, you know, quote unquote, buying into those things and living the things that we want to see, then ultimately we're not going to be you know, as successful as we should be. So some of that reflection piece is, is on us as coaches, but a, another part of that is going out and getting our players to reflect, to figure out where they are. Because if we are missing something or we're hitting the bullseye of the wrong target, getting a lot of that information from our, our players and knowing where they are, or at least where, or what their perceptions of us are, is I think what is really important. Because we can think, Hey, I've told them a thousand times. Hey, I laid this out. Hey, we met on this. Well, quote unquote, we talked about it last week in a meeting. I showed you this in practice last week. But if their perception or their attitude about it is not aligning with where we are, then, then we're never going to achieve that ultimate destination, which is what we like to call congruence. So I'm going to see if you want to talk a little more about kind of what we do with the, the player side. Yeah. And so I think it's funny because a lot of times, especially with, with people who don't really take the time to reflect on things that they're learning, right? There's so many opportunities to learn in, in coaching. There's so many opportunities. Like there's, there's podcasts, there's clinics, there's books, there's videos. I mean, it, like, you know, if you looked at, at old bookshelves that coaches had behind them on, on calls, it's full of these championship productions DVDs, 
because everybody's looking for that nugget. Well, how do you know it's that nugget if you're not reflecting on everything that you've learned? It might sound good in the moment, but it's not really applicable to your situation. And so with the reflection piece with coaches and, and, and really educators in particular, we all have really good intentions. We really want to do the best we can to win games, to, to do all of the things that we've set out to do as coaches. Very rarely, and this is in our research and in our experience, do we actually sit down and take the time to reflect on what we actually know is important? How do we know what is important in our coaching career, in our coaching, and, and really to our players without asking them? And so we have a series of resources that we've used at, at really, really high levels and really, really low levels in terms of like, you know, age groups and youth and high school and, and then all the way up into college sports. And it is amazing what you will find out when you just ask the players the right questions and give them an opportunity to write it down. Because it's very different when I'm talking to a player or when we're having a conversation, they'll tell me what I want to hear most of the time until we get to that point in that wheel. And obviously the audience can't see this, but behind Kyle, if you go to our website, this is on our, our website as well, it, our human component wheel, until we've gone through that human component wheel several times, we're not really gonna get an honest answer from our kids about what it is they need or what it is, because they also don't know, right? Our players don't know what they need until we ask them to reflect on it because they've been brought up in, in really a coaching culture, a coaching climate, a sport climate, a school climate to be pleasers, where, you know, I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear because I don't want to lose my spot. I don't want to lose my grade. I don't want to lose my playing time, whatever it is. And so once we've created that climate of authenticity, we can then really get to the heart of what's driving their engagement and their motivation. And some of the things that we've found, uh, and I'm not going to put, you know, the teams or anything out there, but in, especially around, you know, positive self-talk and what players are saying to themselves when they make a mistake, especially our high achievers, um, is just so detrimental to their performance. And if coaches go through this process and if coaches are, are just kind of going through their season, especially coaching, you know, high academic, high achieving kids, and they're not asking the question to really ascertain what's going on behind the facade, they're doing their kids a disservice. And that's the reflective piece. How do I get my players to be reflective about what they want out of their experience? How do I then take what they tell me and shape my feedback and shape what I believe about my players based on that? Right? Because we can have this incongruence of what I believe as a coach, the ideal experience should be, what you should want, what you should be about. And then the player has eaten popcorn for three days straight and hasn't, they, they can't come in and give you 100% every day, right? But we're asking them for something they're unable to do. And so once we're able to, to put those two things together through that reflective process, through the awareness of each other's situations or each other's engagements and motivations, then we can create some of that clarity and then some alignment to really what we're trying to get out of this experience in sport or in the classroom or, or all of it. Uh, and so that's really how we go about reflecting with our coaches, reflecting with players to then create a harmonious, congruent experience as close as possible. Like Kyle mentioned stacking the deck, 
to stack the deck in order to get to that place of congruence at some point uh, during that season or during the, the players four years there. It's an ongoing process, which is why it's so exciting for us. Yeah, that's really good. I'd love to just know more specifically, like what are some of your favorite questions either one for coaches to ask themselves or then like you mentioned for them to ask their players, you mentioned some questions for players around self-talk. Like what are some of the other questions that you're having coaches ask that are getting some of the best responses? Yeah, I think like for me, the, the best question that you can ask uh, or the, the, the starting point for a great question to ask is outside of, you know, the material external gains of winning championships, minutes, points, all that stuff. What do you want your experience to be? All right. And I, I believe in asking that question of coaches. I believe in asking that question of players and of parents. Um, because each of them is going to give you a different answer. And so if we all have a different answer about what we want our experience to be, and it's up to the coach to try to create the environment for that for that experience to happen. Unless we know what our players and parents want, unless we know what people around us want, and that's that next connection, then we're never going to get to a place of satisfaction. Right? I've been on teams that have won a lot, Kyle. I mean, listen, y'all have won a ton down at Simsboro. And some of the stories you tell are heartbreaking about where things should be really, really, really good. Kids are falling apart at the seams. All right. And I've been on teams that didn't win a whole lot, but they were special where the kids bought, they, they were, they took ownership, not even bought in, not invested. They owned their experience. They knew what they wanted and we went out and got it for them. Uh, you know, I used to tell my teams, we're the most entitled team in the country because we can get anything we want anytime on the court, off the court, doesn't matter because we set our own experience. But unless we know what that's what we want it to be, we can't design with intention the experience. Yeah, that's good. Powerful, powerful question to ask. What do you want the experience to be? Uh, well, yeah, Kyle, go one ahead. Of the things, <clears throat> one of the things that we do is not necessarily a, a one particular question, but just sort of a resource we have in like coaches will say, you know, well, we don't have a lot of commitment from our kids. Like we want more commitment, but then it's like, okay, well, how much voice are, are your players getting? So commitment, you know, voice and choice will help breed some of that commitment. If it's my idea, I'm going to be more likely to follow through with it. And so we just have this one, one little uh, resource where it's kind of like this 50, 50 chart where you as the coach can go through and list out all the different decisions that you're making as a coach. And then you sort of on a sliding scale be like, okay, who's making this decision? Is it 100% me, the coach, or is it 100% the player? And is there any way that we could potentially slide that, you know, around where we're both making that decision, or I give them a little bit of that investment power. And it could be something like, okay, well, what are we doing in practice today? Like who designs the practice? And I would imagine that most coaches would be like, well, I 100% designed the practice. Okay, well, is there a way that we could maybe give them 25%, you know, 10% of that practice design and let them be a little bit more invested in that process, maybe how they get started, maybe how they finish up, maybe something in the middle. Um, and when you start thinking about, and this is, this is really where we go from reflection into awareness, 
is coaches start to really sit down and consciously think about all the decisions that they are actually making. And then you don't realize all of the decision, um, just sort of energy that's going into, okay, well, what are we going to wear? What's pregame meal? What time do we need to leave? How are we going to get there? What's the route we're going to take to get to the game? When we get to the game, where are we going to sit? You know, are we going to allow headphones or not allow headphones? Are we going to go in at halftime and get dressed? Or are we not going to go in at halftime and get dressed? And you just start thinking about all the things, like even just leading up to the game on game day, do I, the coach, have to necessarily make 100% of all those decisions? Or can I say, all right, guys, y'all, do, when do y'all want to go in? When's best for you? When can you get your head right? You know, when do you want to put the headphones on? When do you want to take them off? What do you guys want to eat? What are we going to wear? How are we going to get there? All those sorts of things. And when you start to just allow the player to have a little bit more of that voice and choice, you start to see a little bit more of that, you know, commitment coming through. And so they'll just, you know, we give you this resource and you literally just sit down and write out every decision that you might make prior to practice or every decision you might make watching film, every decision you might make pregame planning or on game day. And you literally go through and mark, okay, well, who's making these, whose responsibility is it to figure this stuff out? And it also can be really good for you as a head coach with your staff. What decisions are you delegating to your staff? And it really starts to take some load off of you as, as the coach, especially if you're the head coach, because you just start to realize like, man, like I'm having to make all these choices by myself and all this decision-making power and all of this, it, and it just becomes can almost become sort of overwhelming. And when they start to raise their awareness level to even just the decisions that are almost unconscious, uh, that can really be a very powerful moment uh, for those coaches. One of the other things I would add to that too, just, just from a, a programmatic like framework or, or, you know, kind of the pre-work to all of this is it's all well and good for us to be able to give you a resource. Right. There's a million and a half resources out there. There's fillables, there's printables, all this stuff, right? What's really important, though, is two things. Number one, and this was a promise that I would make to all of my players, um, you know, blanket promise. I will only give you feedback on things that you can control. So once we've defined all of the things they can control, now I have the ability as the coach, as a promise, not saying as a threat, Right. As a promise to you, this is a positive promise to you. I will only give you feedback on things you can control. Well, once kids know that they can control certain things, especially, right, we couldn't control that there was a pandemic. I mean, listen, people chose not to wear masks. That was part of it. But the understanding that I can't control anything that's happening out there, but I can control the decisions I make on a second to second basis. So if as a coach, I have the trust with my players that if I give you, let's say I give you 100% control over the pregame music, right? And there's, there's cuss words and there, there's the N word. And there's all this crazy stuff that's in the music. Well, now I can give you feedback on that because I, you know, like I gave up that control as the coach. You chose to do this. Now I can hold you accountable. And that brings me to the second part. A lot of times coaches will say like, oh, well, one of my core values is accountability. Okay, accountability to what? To you? Uh-uh. They can't be accountable to you if they don't know you, right? We have to only give them feedback about things they can control and that they've agreed to be held accountable to. And so moving to a player-led team, and this is really Kyle's forte. He gave a great clinic on this last year about moving to a player-led team. 
moving to a player-led team, moving to a team, moving to a program in which players have that voice and choice, in which accountability exists, is literally because you as the coach have transferred the ownership of the program to the players through a series of reflective exercises, through a series of creating frameworks, through, a create, through the creation of almost infrastructure in your program, through this reflection, awareness, clarity, and alignment pathway that sets our standards for us based on what we say, not based on some arbitrary thing that you heard on a clinic or that you, you know, that Tony Bennett does or whatever. It is us in our context, for our purposes, for our experience, for nobody else. And once we can get to that place, that's where we can really see us taking off. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, I think that kind of segues perfectly into the clarity and alignment piece of, you know, we can't hold players accountable if they're not clear on what the standard is and what we're going to be giving them feedback on. So I I love that getting clear with them on, I'm going to give you feedback on things you can control. Are there other things you guys would add about clarity and alignment? Kyle, I really liked what you mentioned as far as you know, reflecting and gaining that awareness of, of maybe even how you're doing it with your staff too. Yeah, I think that's big for coaches. Uh, but then I'd love to know your thoughts about clarity and alignment with players and with staff or, and even other stakeholders too. I mean, there's just, there's so much there as far as ways we can get more clear and more aligned in all aspects of our coaching and our programs. Right. Well, I think one of the things that, you know, especially as a young head coach, I, I got my first day coaching job at 24. And, you know, I don't even know if I'd be ready to be a head coach at 36 now. I certainly wasn't ready at 24. And you just don't realize all those decisions that are going to have to take place. And not just decisions that you have to make, but the decisions that you make that are going to affect other people and the people that you're going to rely on to help you, you know, achieve whatever that thing is. And that includes setting up a concession stand, making sure that the clock works. Is the arrow working? You know, do we have officials to get paid? You know, are the officials going to show up? And I remember like my very first game, not even knowing that like all of this stuff, I had to figure this out or somebody did. Like we don't, that net ripped in PE because a kid jumped up there and grabbed it. We don't have another one. Games in an hour. How do you get another net? Like these are all things that coaches are probably listening to and laughing because we've all dealt with it. But they're all things that you don't get in a, you know, in your education background while you're becoming a coach or a course or whatever, and really just sitting down and thinking about like, these are all things that could happen. And do I have a plan in place that's going to help me, you know, take care of that. So those stakeholders then become not just you and your staff or your players, but they become your concession stand workers, your custodians, your electricians, your maintenance uh, people, like who's going to clean the gym afterwards, all these sort of things, because if we don't take care of the gym after the game, well, there's, teachers and PE kids and people that are going to show up the next day who need to do their job. And if you didn't complete your job, then you're getting in their way. And you just start to see all of this stuff is, is, is connected. And so really just sort of opening our eyes and raising our awareness to that starts to allow us to reframe these problems and, uh, and, and create, you know, potential solutions for those. But one of the things I wanted to mention as far as the, the clarity and the alignment piece is concerned, if you if you saw our, our climate over culture um, uh, clinic a week or so ago, we make this really crucial point that you cannot hold somebody accountable 
for something if we don't have their permission and their agreement to be held accountable by you. And so a lot of coaches out there would say, well, I get them to sign the handbook. You know, we talk about it first, first meeting of the year, I get up there, I pass out a handbook. I tell them the 27 things that I expect them not to do. I don't tell them what they should do. I just tell them what I'm expecting them not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Okay. Sign this and say you agree to it. And the kids were like, well, I have to sign it because I, I want to play. So I'll sign it. And then we never talk about it ever again until a seam breaks one of the rules, one of the 27 rules. He breaks it. And I say, well, I told you not to do this. And he's like, yeah, but this is stupid. Like it's a dumb rule. Well, you signed it. You didn't say it was a dumb rule. Well, I didn't feel like I had the capital to stand up and say I thought it was a dumb rule. And so you can imagine like how this sort of spirals and snowballs and one little thing like that that occurs, you know, weekly or daily over the course of a season. And now all of a sudden there's a massive rift between coach and staff or, or coach and player or player to player, what have you. And so the, the point is, is if we can, if we can get everybody involved in the decision-making process. So, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about standards and culture is built on your standards. Well, we're going to define those standards together. Or you hear a lot of coaches saying, well, we're going to raise our standards. Well, that's great. Like, I'm not saying don't, don't lower your standards. Like we shouldn't lower them. That's not a good thing. But just because you say you're going to raise your standard doesn't mean that we understand what we're raising it to. We don't know where it was to begin with. So how the heck are we supposed to raise it? And did we tell our players that we raised our standards? And so then they come in and they're constantly falling short of the mark or falling short of your mark, but they don't understand why. And so their awareness is lacking because we, we, we don't have this clarified answer of what raising a standard might be. And so being very intentional about this, especially early on, to talk about what our values are going to be. And I, I, I have them as an individual. I have them as a as a dad, as a husband, as a neighbor, as a teacher, as a coach. But what I think is not necessarily what Luke might think is important. And so we have to have, no, there's probably some commonalities, right? Like we probably, and we might say the same thing, but use a different word, but we need to sit down and talk about what that's going to be. And so if we really want that, and again, we, we try to tweak some of our, our language and we want to be very intentional about this. Coaches say they want their kids to buy in. We don't want our kids to buy in. Buying in is just the very, very first step. But we like to say that if you buy something, I could just as easily sell it. If I buy a new Apple Watch, I'm going to buy the next one that comes out too. So I'm going to trade you in for another model. So coaches that are trying to get their players to buy in, it's still a very transactional piece. I don't want you to just buy in. I want you to then invest and have more investment into that program. But even with investment, I'm probably still looking to turn a profit, right? Like I'm still going to sell it when it gets high. I'm still going to look to turn that into something else that's beneficial for me. But when we create this equitable ownership of our experience, where they then get to control their experience and we get to have an actual conversation because we've agreed on all of these things, now we're finally getting somewhere. And even at the end of the day, the house that I live in right now, I'll probably sell it like I own it, but I'm probably going to sell it. But even if that occurs, I'm going to drive through the old neighborhood years later and go check on that house because I was so invested in it that I owned it. 
that I care enough about who I'm leaving it towards. So we get players to quote unquote buy in for four years and they leave. And then it's just, thanks for coming. Here's a Letterman jacket, a rose and a picture of you in your Jersey. Bye-bye. But what about the players that constantly keep coming back to make that next connection? And they care about who they're leaving their program to. We want those seniors to leave our program better than they found it and, and come back and check on those freshmen through juniors and see if they're taking care of their old house. And so there's a really big difference between buy-in investment and ownership. And ownership is, is the place that we want to get to, but we can't do that if we're not starting from a more uh, equitable position for everybody that's involved. Yeah, that's really good. And as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about the simple exercise you shared earlier with the sliding scale and, and applying that to you know, your culture or climate, whatever you're setting, the question is really, you know, as a coach, how much of this are you directing and how much of it are they directing? And yeah, I mean, giving them opportunities to own it is so huge. But again, like we said too, if, if we don't give them the opportunity to own it, they can't and they won't. Is there anything else that you guys would uh, add or like to hit on with, uh, with those, those four things, reflection, awareness, clarity, alignment, anything you feel like we missed? Yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing is understanding how it works with stakeholders outside your players. I think sometimes like, um, you know, especially when we talk to coaches really for the first time, um, and we're really diving into Raqqa and what that means. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I can do this with the players, but how do I keep the parents at arm's length? And I'm like, no, man, you can't keep the parents at arm's length anymore. It's impossible, right? They're the ones giving the kids a ride. They're the ones paying for school. If you're, if you're at a private school or if you're at, you know, at the college level and the you know, non-scholarship level. And honestly, they're their kids' friends. Um, and that's something that is a little bit different than it was maybe 20, 30 years ago, right? And so being able to go through these same reflective and alignment processes with parents, with your administration, um, really trying to get everybody to take their piece of ownership. And this is where Kyle used the word equitable, right? It's not equal ownership, it's equitable ownership, right? Giving the resources where they're needed for people to do with what they will. Um, you know, so parents have equitable stake in the success of the program. So being able to go through those processes with them and help create that ownership, it's all your idea as the coach. You got to make it seem like it's their idea. So they are more, they take more ownership of their piece of the program and leave you alone to do your coaching job. Um, because they know that their kids are getting an equitable and ownership and, or equitable ownership in their own experience. Right. And that's where we create that alignment, even between people that aren't, it's not like us and somebody else, it's the parent and the kid. So that that like dinner table conversation or the ride home is at least we have a, an awareness of what it should feel like. And at a certain point, one or the other can hold the other accountable and be like, yo, I don't want to talk about this. Like we agreed not to talk about this, right? This way. Uh, you're not going to get everybody. You're not going to get everybody, but I can go, I, I can tell a story. I mean, probably another time, but um, of parents who held each other accountable in the stands in a playoff game, right? Where 
one of the parents was going off the rails and the other one stood up and they were like friends. And that the other mom looked at the other one and was like, hey, that's not what we do here. You need to stop or we're just going to tell you to leave. All right. And that's when you know that that equitable ownership has actually taken place, but that they're aligned to the vision and the mission of the program that we set forth from day one. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. That's a great story too. And, you know, I, it's not just exclusive to his work, but Doug Lamov's book, the coach's guide to teaching, he has a chapter in there about culture. And he just talks about how, like you were just saying, it should be intentionally created by us and then it should be shared. And, and we want our players, their parents, all those stakeholders to feel like, Oh, I created this. Like, this is, this is my thing too. And, and we, we guide it in the direction that we want and the direction that we have a vision for it. But yeah, that's so good. I love that. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about climate versus culture. You guys have mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, tell me why you guys prefer, prefer the word climate over culture and why does it matter that we make the distinction? So we feel like this is the, the, the best pathway to get to that congruence. And again, if you watch the clinics, we've got this, this graphic. It is very busy, but it's just sort of this like 30,000 foot view of what running an organization or a program looks like. And the idea, um, and then I touched on this in my, my teaching clinic as well. Like, why do we teach things? What are we trying to teach? Like, what's the goal of teaching somebody something? And I think it's to get them to learn. Like the teaching is not near as important as the actual learning, but why do we want them to learn? We want them to perform, right? Now that performance could mean a move, their jump shot, offensively, you know, a defensive rotation, but it also can mean perform as an individual, as a human being. We want to produce better people. We want to produce leaders. We want to produce better followers. So your performance individually and as a program really should, to me, that's the, the goal of the program right? That's why we're here. It's to perform. Now, your definition of performance might be a little, you know, different than somebody else's. And, and we could, we could talk about that. But if you look at performance, like if we had this, this graphic diagram, anybody out there, you know, wants to see it email, you know, let us know, we'll be glad to send it to you. Um, but at the end of that, we want to reverse engineer from there. So if the goal is performance, and we start to work our way back, what is most closely tied to that performance is that individual's engagement and their motivation. If you have somebody that's in the gym that is engaged and motivated, they're going to get better, right? Like it would be hard to not get better and it would be hard to not perform with engaged, motivated players or engaged, motivated students. So I think about this a lot from the classroom standpoint. I teach seventh grade. Okay. You want to talk about a tough room? walk in with 27th graders, you know, after a pandemic to talk about chemical and physical reactions. It's not exactly, you know, why they got out of bed this morning. So how do you create the engagement and the motivation for them to want to be in the room, right? Or to want to be in the gym. And they're off to the side of that. There's their own individual needs, their values, their attitudes, their perceptions, their skills and abilities. Because if you're good, you're going to most likely want to be there. Right. The, the little kid on every little league baseball field right now playing travel ball, the best kid wants to be there most likely because he's dominating. He's pitching. He's batting forth like he's he's killing it like he wants to be there. 
but the kid that's playing left field or not batting at all, like their engagement and motivation is probably not quite as high. And in some part, because their ability is less. So how development is part of that. So um, one of the things we like to say is like the, the, the most motivated person is somebody who's showing progress. So if we can raise your belief and raise your efficacy and raise your ability, then you're going to be more likely to be engaged or motivated. But all of that right there at the heart of this entire picture is climate. That's what all of this stuff stems from. So your engagement, your motivation, your values, your attitude, your perception of things, your skills and abilities, the environment in which we are producing that we teach in, all of that is related directly to our climate. And climate is more in the now, every day-to-day type stuff. And it's, it's different than culture. And people might think that, I think sometimes folks think that this is just sort of semantics, that it's like, oh, we're just trying to throw another word out there just to throw another word out there. And that's not the case. And, and the, the, good, the good news about this, I think, is that everybody uses the word culture. So that's good. Like we've raised our awareness to the fact that culture is important and it's not just transactional X's and O's and this and that, but the word has become so overused and abused that people feel like they can just say the word and feel like that they, they've got what they need. We just feel like we can say the words transformational or culture or ownership or something like that. And ultimately that's, they just think, okay, well, we said it one time in a press conference and we're good to go. Um, and what was that video scene? It was what, 45 seconds, 40, 45 seconds, 45 times of all the press conferences from la- I think last year or two years ago, all the D1 yeah. uh, men's hires. Yeah. And they're, they're all just talking culture, 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 culture. And they talk about it once and it's like, oh, well, this guy dominated the, the interview. And so that's what gets him the job. But we're much more speaking from from two guys who have lost it. It's not about getting the job. It's not about saying those right buzzwords and the platitudes that get you a job. It's what can I do to stack the deck in my favor to keep the job and then not just keep it and survive it. But how do we thrive in it? And climate is at the, the, the heart of all of this. It's us recruiting every single day. It's our daily interactions and the decisions that we make that are aligned to whatever that you know, unified, that unified purpose is. We talk a lot about decision-making. Our goal is to get you to make the next best decision. So if something happens that doesn't turn out in our favor, I, it is what it is. What's the next best decision that we can do? Because climate is, is in the now. It's where our, you know, you hear folks say the line, like, be where your feet are. That's climate. My culture as the coach, what I want, my vision is going to be much more like big picture, futuristic type deal. And when we talk about bringing equity back into this picture, you take over a, a high school program tomorrow, Luke, you're going to have a certain vision and culture. But your seniors, your juniors, maybe even your sophomores, they don't have time to wait on your culture to take root. They've got one year left. They need you now. Those players in your program that you might only have a couple months with, they're relying on you to be the best version of yourself and, 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 you know, give them the best experience that they possibly can have. That's where climate comes in. We can't change our culture overnight. It's impossible. But somebody walks into a room can instantly change our climate. And if we can start, you know, maximizing the, the momentum of those little daily climate wins, now we're starting to take that evolutionary change 
and create revolutionary change, which is getting us to the, you know, the bigger long-term quote unquote culture. Yeah. Asim, anything you would add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think Kyle does an excellent job being very thorough and explaining all that. Um, and I think, you know, the, the difference too is really like, I, I think about the programs that I've taken over. The culture existed long before I was there, right? But the climate exists and it's different every single day, right? So the first job that I took over had a history of being pretty good. And so the culture from the outside, culture, quote unquote, from the outside was like, yeah, that's, that's a good program. But recently it's become the doormat. And this was something that was said to me when I took the job from another coach in the building. Oh, y'all are the homecoming game, right? This is the, you're the doormat of everything. So that was the culture, quote unquote, from the outside. And the climate on the inside was girls who are hungry to play basketball at a high level. We had that engagement and that motivation. But what people saw, and that's generally what people think of when you think of culture, is, is what you see from the outside. The culture was not healthy, but the climate was. And so we can take that climate and we can make it better and better and better and better. And then over the course of time, the bigger 30,000 foot culture changes. And so if you're looking for like real examples of that, we see that with our group all the time. And it's all four layers of this pyramid that's behind me. Again, people who are listening can't see it, but you can go to our website and check it out. Starting with that human component and that recruiting every single day, recruiting all the stakeholders, empathy, love, equity, all of those things. How do we make sure the vision is attainable on all four of these things for every single person in our program? That's climate. Because right? the kid who's 15th on the bench who never plays adds more to the climate by who they are and what they do than perhaps the kid who's dropping 20 every night. Because without that kid who's 15th on the bench being the best teammate in the world, the rest of us don't have an example for what it looks like when things don't go your way. That multi-sport athlete who can't commit all their time to basketball or who can't commit all their time to whatever sport you coach, that kid can still be a healthy member of your climate just by the way that you recruit that kid's effort and engagement and motivation to then help other kids, right? So that's what we're really talking about. And I think, you know, we're all in search of that transformation, but some of that has to be transactional. And transactional coaching is not a bad thing. Um, Kyle, I don't know if you, if you dove into that. I don't think you dove into that too deeply, but again, that's on that graphic that he was talking about. We'd be glad to send that to you um, or even do a part two with you, Luke, like really breaking that down. Um, but that transactional piece is not a bad thing. It's necessary for the transformation to take place. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to just sort of make sure we wanted to hammer home because whereas culture has sort of become like the word and transformation has become the word, that's great. But the transformation is preceded by the transaction. So like the transactional piece, understanding like when people talk about it, like we get what we're saying, right? Like you're just there to produce wins for me like that is not what we want, but there has to be daily transactions of recruiting and connecting that precedes the actual transformation that we're all sort of after. And so our systems that are in place, our procedures, our environment, those are transactional things 
that are those evolutionary type changes, but we have to have those in place that are going to bring about the more, you know, big picture transformational piece. And then a seam that, it, and if people didn't catch this, a seam just tied this back perfectly. We started this part of the conversation by asking what is most closely tied to performance and it's engagement and motivation. Well, how do we create the engagement and motivation? We set our climate up for all of the individuals in our group, all of those diverse experiences, diverse backgrounds, diverse attitudes. If we can create equity in that ownership and everybody has their stake, that ownership is what increases that engagement and motivation. And if we're doing that, then again, we're at least stacking the deck in our favors to increase not just performance, but development of each of our, our individuals. And so again, performance can mean winning a game. Performance could mean a 30-point possession on offense. Performance could mean the perfect pick and roll coverage. Or performance could simply mean that we're creating the character necessary to be the person that we want to be, creating a consistency of habits where we leave that gym better than we found it, where we leave the restaurant we eat at better than we found it, that the bus is clean, um, that everybody's uniform gets put in the laundry bin. I mean, everybody out there that's coached has that one player who never puts their shorts in the basket, right? And you got to go grab those shorts off the ground. Well, that right there, you're not a bad kid, but in that moment you have low character because your consistency of that particular habit is not meeting the standard that we've, we've said. And it seems like such a small thing, but when you start to miss on that mark over and over and over again, on all these other little climate type things that can create some negative momentum towards that particular culture that we're trying to create. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. There's a lot there. I think the thing that I'm taking away from what you guys are saying, and you know, when we oversimplify, we miss things, but, but as I simplify what you guys are breaking down, I'm just thinking, you know, climate is like, you kind of mentioned Kyle, it's, it's very present and in the moment, what's happening right now. And our culture is, is much more of, again, that long-term vision. And so that long-term vision won't come to life until we figure out how to establish those habits in the present moment and, and shape those. Cause it's easy to talk about a culture of whatever, but if we're not shaping the interactions, the behaviors that are happening in the present moment, that vision will never come to life. So yeah, I like that. So, so, so powerful. I, one, one thing to add real quick, Luke, is I think we had a conversation with a coach who just took over a program that's got quote unquote, really bad culture. Thinking about it and reframing it in such a way to me takes a load off. I can breathe deeper. It's, it's much more empowering to know that that's something that I can change the first day I walk in. Whereas the culture, I can't. And I think a lot of times when we talk to coaches, it's like the culture is so bad or it's there's so much that has to be undone and unlearned that it seems so overwhelming that we can't do it. And then we just sort of get complacent and we learn to survive or we don't worry about fixing a certain piece of that. But when we reframe that conversation in terms of climate, where we where we presently are, it becomes a lot more exciting and more fun because we know that we can go check off a win by just simply having a conversation with that one player that won't talk to us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, think, sorry, sorry, just to add on to that, I think it. too, looking past, you know, the, the high school or the youth level, if, if there's college coaches listening, I think sometimes the common refrain is, Oh, well, we need to recruit better kids. No, no. You need to recruit the kids that are on your campus right now. 
right, to whatever you need that climate to be and whatever we've agreed that climate needs to be. Right? Like Kyle said, the, the kids who are there don't have time to wait on you. They only get four years, maybe five, maybe six now with COVID, right? You don't have time to wait. So it's not that we need to recruit better kids or we need to recruit other kids. We have the kids we have. So let's make sure that our climate is what we want it to be by spending the time and effort to make sure that that happens. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a powerful one. This has been awesome. Before we, before we finish up and Asim, I think you may be right. We may need to do a part two down the road because there's a lot of things here. Uh, before we finish up though, I want to ask you guys just a few rapid fire questions and just kind of get the first thoughts that come to your mind. Uh, Asim, you can go first and, and Kyle, you can follow. Here's my first Wait. one. The most fun part of coaching is the kids. Kyle? Yeah, I would just say that the, the relationships, the connections um, with whether that be with the players or for me, I, I'm not technically coaching at the moment right now. So my coaching is the connections that we make within our, our community. Um, and so the relationship piece, the human component. Mm. I know I'm successful as a coach when the kids come back and they, they tell you. Hmm. That and then when we start to hear secondary and tertiary mm -hmm. feedback, um, we had a, a coach who in our group who was getting player feedback, but then started to get feedback from other rival coaches and players of that coach starting to hear all the good work that she was doing. And so when I, I think when what you're doing is starting to bleed out into those outer circles and people are hearing it and noticing it and that feedback gets to you, you know, you're on the right track. That's really good. Here's the next one. I wish I would have known blank before I started coaching. I wish I would have known Kyle before I started coaching. <laughs> yeah. Can I steal that and say him too? I wish, I wish I would have known what true coach development was about. Mm, say more about that. I wish I would have known that it's, I wish I would have gotten to this place sooner. These mm -hmm. conversations that all of the stuff that is sort of portrayed as what development is, but really isn't. Um, I wish I would have gotten to that, that piece sooner. And on the floor, some of that is decision-making, getting to more of that type of stuff. A lot of what Chris Oliver does and Brian McCormick, those types of things. But then also from the relationship piece, the human component, the RACA, the actual work that's involved as opposed to sit and watch said course mm -hmm. and I'm good to go when that that's not near deep enough. I wish I would have been a lot deeper with my development. Yeah, I would, I would definitely add things like clinics and videos and stuff like that. To, I mean, like, I wish I would have known that that stuff doesn't really matter. Like it's not helping you become a better coach. And if that's what coaching professional development is, and it's all one size fits all, you know, like even if it's in a small group or whatever, but it's being prescribed by somebody else, that's not what coaching development is. Um, what I think what we do, it's far be it from me to say that it's perfect. It's definitely not, but we feel like we definitely have something with the actual real relevant professional development that we do with each other and with our, our coaches. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. 
Well, before we hop off, you guys just share, how can, how can coaches connect with you guys, get in contact and see all that you're doing? Yeah. So the best way to do that is on our website. The URL is essential-coaching.net. You can drop us an email there. You can subscribe to the website and then both of us are on Twitter. We're super active uh, on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at Rastogi, R-A-S-T-O-G-I underscore Asim, A-S-E-E-M as in Mary. Uh, and Kyle, you can shout yours out. Yeah, and mine is at Coach K424. And then awesome. if you want to send us an email, uh, that's the last one is admin. So A-D-M-I-N at essential coach essential dash coaching.net awesome and i'll put links to all those in the show details coaches if you want to go check out kyle and the team and connect with them kyle i've seen this is awesome thanks a ton for joining me enjoyed it a ton yeah thank you for thank having you. us part two part two on the way luke let's do oh, it yeah <laughs> Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Asim and Kyle for coming on to the podcast. You can check out all the links Kyle and Asim mentioned in the show details. I think it's worth taking a minute to re-emphasize the importance of the distinction they made between climate and culture. Like they mentioned at the end, it's actually quite empowering as coaches when we direct our focus to the climate we're creating moment by moment. Culture doesn't change overnight. Change is the result of stacking up those small daily wins where we're focused on living out that future vision of our culture in the present moment. What we talk about our culture being really doesn't matter if the day-to-day environment or climate that we're creating doesn't align with what we've said we want to create. So be encouraged. You don't have to change everything. Just focus on what you can do in the present moment to create the right climate that will eventually produce the culture you want. Like I mentioned in the intro, you can hop on my email list and get the podcast notes from this episode or any episode at coachesclubpod.com. If you're interested in being a part of the Coaches Club community, check out coachesclub.community to learn more. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for the next round of book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching at cgtbookclubs.com. Those book clubs kick off at the end of this month. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.